0: Okay, Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, verse 11, to the end. The Apostle Paul writes, Do this, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near." Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. That was Romans 13, 11 to 14, the last four verses of Romans 13. Well, in this chapter, Romans 13, we've been commissioned to submit to who in the first part of the chapter? Government. A government. Submitting to the government. Well, we've also been called, this was last week, verses 8 to 10, we've also been called to reflect God's love in our relationships. All relationships, our relationships with our neighbor, we are to reflect God's love. But now we're going to a why from a what. We've been told the what, what to do, submit to government, love your neighbor. I've got one more handout if there's one needed. Mm -hmm. Um, We've been told what to do and now we're given a reason why, okay? We are to live in light of final salvation. You see that at the beginning of chapter uh, verse eleven. Do this. Do this. Submit to government. Love your neighbor. Do this, knowing the time. What time is it, anyway? It's
1: uh, nine
0: thirty. <laughs> a little after nine thirty. Yeah. Uh huh. Is that what Paul meant? You always have a clock or, or a watch around. So you can know the time. Well, that's not what he meant. What time is Paul talking about here? It's the year of our Lord. Okay. Christ is returning soon. You could sum it up by saying, it's time to wake up. Right? The alarm has gone off. Get out of bed. You guys are real good at that, aren't you? Some of you don't need an alarm. Some of you get up without an alarm. That's pretty impressive. But others of us, you know, that alarm has to go off. We have to flap the the sheet back and feel the cold and force ourselves to get out of bed. (laughs) Well, it's that time, Paul says. The time is now. You know the time. Time to wake up. You see that in the text? Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. It's time for you to wake up from your sleep. You've got to get out of bed. Time to get out of bed. He, of course, is speaking of Jesus' return here, that His return is imminent. Jesus' return is imminent. What does that mean, that word imminent? It's
1: like
0: certain and inevitable. Certain absolute. inevitable? absolute, Absolute? Close? Close? Close. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, imminent second. Third. Yes. You know, imminent can mean different things too, especially if you change the spelling a little bit. Uh, Oh, what, what? There's a line from a show that we watched. Uh, now I can't remember. It was a, it was a great pun involving the word of the "minute," so I won't try to replicate it. If, it. if it hits me later, I'll just say it out loud. But uh, Jesus' return can happen at any time, right? He, he is coming back. His second coming is just as certain as his first coming. We believe this, yes. Yes. Yeah, and it can happen at any time. We can hear the trumpet blast at any time, can't we? Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's that's real deal. Now we don't often have that conscious in our minds because we are human. We're born into this world and, and let's face it, in our natural state. You weren't born and raised and started going to elementary school just thinking every moment of every day about Jesus' return. You just weren't. But now as Christians, that is a major part of your worldview. Of course, you believe things about the nature of God. You believe things about salvation, what the gospel is. All of that is true and good and right. But do you also believe that Jesus can return at any moment? Before I finish this sentence, Jesus (laughs) could return, right? Does that have a bearing on what we do? It should. That's Paul's whole argument here. The time is now. Know the time. It's time to wake up. In one sense, we of course have already received salvation, but in another sense, we're waiting for our salvation. Because when Jesus comes, that's the total culmination, isn't it? When we're glorified together with Him, that's the culmination of our salvation. And we're waiting for Him to return. The night is almost gone, Paul says in verse 12. The night is almost gone. That means... The fallen world is passing away. Evil is going to lose. It's about about time for evil to be defeated. It's almost the time for evil to be defeated. And the day is near. Christ's kingdom is coming. He's about to make all things right. He's about to come back and establish His throne. And this only makes sense from an eternal perspective, doesn't it? If you don't have an eternal perspective, you cannot say that the night is almost gone. Some of you have been waiting for a long time for the night to be gone, to see evil defeated. You've been waiting a long time expecting Jesus' return, and you read these words and say, the day is near. According to who? I've been waiting for years, decades, some of you centuries. Centuries. (laughs) <laughs> I wasn't looking at anyone in particular. I boxed my eyes for a reason, Joe. Here, no, no one gets accused. But, but think about that. The day is near, really? Paul wrote this how long ago? 2,000 years ago, just about. The day is near. You can say the night is almost gone, almost, and the day is near if you have an eternal perspective. God's perspective. Because a day to the Lord is like how long? A thousand, a thousand years. Thousand years. His perspective is timeless, isn't it? And he has full, absolute, total control over what's going on in world history. And if we link ourselves to God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, if we're united to God, if we gain his perspective through his word, we understand no, this is nothing to God. Our life is but a vapor. Our life is just so short. It's a blip. The day is near. The day is near. And we have to come to grips with this reality, too. Do you know the day or the hour of Jesus' return?
2: No.
0: Did Paul know? No. no, he didn't. You think he probably would have included that in, in his letters if he did? Yeah. No. So that puts us in a state of every single day expecting the return of Jesus. Because it's at hand, it's near, it's imminent, it's certain. And that has a bearing on the way that we live. So there are several passages that talk about this. We're only going to look at three, okay? So let's all turn to these together. Mark 13, you have them there on your sheet. Mark 13, these are passages that speak to our alertness. Because we don't know the day or the hour, because His return is imminent... We must be alert. And I want us to start with Jesus' words himself. Mark chapter 13, verses 32 to 37. Would someone read Mark 13, 32 to 37? Who's got it? Okay, go ahead, Jen.
1: But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake.
0: you go through and you underline where Jesus says, asleep or awake or alert, several times in those five, six verses there. Not knowing the day or the hour provokes us to alertness. Now someone explained, in, just in layman's terms, Explain to me how. How does not knowing the day or the hour provoke you to live alertly? Well, but but well, what's the connection? What's the connection between the two? His coming and our alertness. I don't
2: want to be doing something
1: terrible when He comes back. <laughs> okay. Never.
0: Well, and you see what He, he finished with there in uh, verse 36. In case He should come suddenly and find you asleep. So, we just say asleep. You don't want to be asleep when He returns, right? You want to be alert when He returns. Other thoughts? Lizzie.
1: Um, you shared a verse with me once, but I forgot what it was. But <sighs> it was a you "Stay." I don't know. It's like something about fear and trembling. That's what comes to my mind. I don't remember exactly the verse.
0: Yeah. Potentially, you're thinking of Colossians two, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling.
1: Yeah. Like I guess like be like live in God's presence have fear of evil, hate sin, you know, that's kind of what comes to my mind Mm-mm. about that, correlating
0: with that to this. Yeah. Yeah, our commission is to live out, work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is in us working and willing His good pleasure, right? And so each and every day we are joining with God and bringing Him glory, exalting Him, praising His name so that we're awake, eyes open, spiritual eyes open. And
3: it's just—it's in line with the rest of Scripture that God is imminent; He's always here, regardless of what's going on in our lives.
0: He's—he's he's he's imminent with an "a" in the middle. Not an a, a. Yes. 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 That means a. He's near. Yes. He's near. He's
3: near, and He upholds all of creation. This is the truth that He's—he's he's upholding everything. And regardless of what's going on in our lives, we're to be prepared for Him uh, when the Father decides that His bowl of wrath is full and sends Christ back. We're to be prepared for Him. Yes. Always.
0: Yeah. And we need to consider, too, the purpose of our salvation. (laughs) Ultimately, we know, why does God save people? Why does God do anything? To bring glory to Himself, right? That's our... Baseline theological answer. But as we start getting into the details, God also saved you to be awake. God saved you to be alert. To understand spiritual things. Because we do a better job at serving God and honoring God rightly when we are informed through His Word. When we are praying for Him, or to Him, for others, interceding for others. When we are aware of the forces at work, the forces at play, and we are living accordingly, if we are spiritually asleep and we're just going through this life like everybody else, how are we doing at bringing honor to God's name? Not so hot. Think back to before you were a Christian, if you were someone who lived an adult life apart from being a Christian. So go back 10, 20, 30, however many years. How did you do at honoring God as He's to be honored, at pleasing the Lord? How did you do it's terrible. <laughs> not good, right? it? Wasn't even in your mind? What are you thinking about? It. And so this life as a Christian is a constant battle that we don't want to go back to that mindset. And that's what Paul's about to discuss here in Romans 13. That we don't have that old way of life creeping back up, that we're not dogs returning to our own vomit. <laughs> That we are pleasing Him, being spiritually alert. Let's go to Ephesians five. We're going to look at Ephesians five and Ephesians six. This might look like it's a bit of a longer passage, but I want you to take note that these verses are shorter. Okay, if you're considering reading, <laughs> so I do need a reader for Ephesians five, eighteen or eight to twenty-one. Amy, thank you, sir. For you were formerly
3: darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. Oh, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Okay.
0: (laughs) So here we see the same theme from Paul. Be alert. Wake up. You see in verse 14, awake, sleeper. Awake. Wake up. And he's connecting it to the way that we live. When you're awake, it's evident by the way that you go about your life. So wake up, Christian. And try to discern what is pleasing to God. Isn't that an interesting verse? Verse 10 Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That's our task in this life, to honor God, to please God. In the light of His salvation, because He's already given us favor through the gospel, by saving us, by declaring us innocent, by giving us new life, what can we do now but have our eyes open and try to please Him? We're His servants. And so we seek to honor God rightly. And then we see it in the next chapter, chapter 6, verses 18 to 20. Someone want to take those three verses? Ephesians 6, 18 to 20. Go ahead, Jared.
2: With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit With this in view be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. That in proclaiming
0: it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Alright, focus on verse 18 with me. You see the theme of alertness coming up again. Be on the alert. How are we showing our alertness according to verse 18?
1: With all prayer and petition, pray at all times.
0: Praying, right? Prayer is the activity of an awake Christian. <laughs> a spiritually alert person, prayer is the activity of that person. We can sometimes think prayer is a sleepy activity, but that is not what the Bible presents. Prayer is an awake activity. It's an alert activity. It's what we do when we're on guard and when we're ready. So we are to pray and petition at all times in the Spirit. And to be alert with perseverance. With perseverance. We're petitioning for all the saints. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. We petition for them. So that's the general idea that we're getting from Romans 13. We'll spend the rest of our time back in Romans 13. But I wanted you to see this idea of awakeness and alertness in other passages. Any other thoughts or questions on this theme of being awake and alert? Paul says in
1: Colossians, I think, pray without ceasing. And not always... Just snaps for
0: him yes. as a continual. Yeah. Yeah, in Colossians four he talks about prayer, but that short verse is in First Thessalonians five. First okay. Thessalonians five seventeen and pray without ceasing. And there we just read, pray at all times. Mm-hmm. Now, we shouldn't really have to say this, but I think we all understand. That doesn't mean every second of every day you are consciously praying, right? You wouldn't be able to do anything. You'd be stuck, you'd be frozen. So what does that mean? What does it mean? Means that you're always
2: aware that God is here and that He is aware of what you are doing, and you are to be aware that He is He is wanting to work through us. Mm-hmm. It's just that and it's just a
0: component of every thing we do. Applying the doctrine of God's involvement in all things to all areas of life, right? And that does prompt us to pray. When we believe that and we understand God is just as involved in our job as He is at church, God is just as involved in our eating of things as He is in our teaching our children or whatever it may be, that makes every issue truly a matter of prayer when we think about it, doesn't it? Because He's involved. And so we apply that doctrine to all areas of life. We tend to give
2: God and we tend to but there's a potential that we think of prayer as a formal, just got to ride right, formal thing for yeah. It you know, It's Yeah. Knowing He's there, and he's, he's listening to everything, I've been you have everything,
0: so you may be addressing Him at the same time. Living in the reality that God is there and involved. Yeah. Amen. Well, someone who,
3: I'm quoting, but will remain unnamed, Said one time, that we the very reason that we can appreciate taste, the very reason that we can uh, appreciate you know, uh, a baby holding skin to skin on, on us, uh, holding our wives, our loved ones those very things are given by God as a gift,
0: and we
3: should appreciate them.
0: Yes being thankful. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of life. Amen. 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 Mark?
2: As we're talking about it,
3: this is the idea of being the Lord and the week is obviously unique to the Scripture. Um, if you think about it in the construction world, you, you have a roofer
2: up there and you move on the job. What's one of the first things you can
3: be alert aware of where you're going and how you're going about it. In the military, uh, that understanding of alertness in that, obviously in uh, Ephesians 6, you know yes. right after that it goes into being alert, putting on the armor of God. So this, this idea of alertness is throughout the world has been taught as a very important aspect of just being, you know, living and not uh when you lose the alertness, that's when you get hurt. That's when bad that things happen. Yes. That's, that's what's being, um but what often happens is as you get going through life, you know, that rookie roofer is alert constantly and be scared. The pro gets lazy and that's <laughs> oftentimes what goes and throw the ones
2: hurt. Very good. Um, so I, I would, that's how I kind of. This alertness, Paul's telling new Christians, obviously, to be alert, but I think this is really getting old Christians saying, Hey, don't get lazy, you
0: know Christianity And mm-hmm. so, oh, this is just yada yada yada. Yes, that, that's when, yeah, yeah. Going back to that armor of God passage, what what are we extinguishing through the shield of faith? Uh, what's being extinguished, like, regardless uh, of the enemy? The enemy is shooting flaming darts at us as just like a ministry of His. Yes. For fun, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what He does. And so if you're not alert and not aware spiritually of what's going on, if you're not awake and you drop your shield of faith or whatever it may be, you're susceptible to being hit with flaming darts. Not good. Right. It's not good. But if you're awake and aware the Lord is working in your life and He's using, especially if you're putting yourself in a community of believers, He's giving you layers of protection. He's helping you in a way that if you're not alert, like Mark said, you're going to get hurt, you're going to fall. So we have to be aware, spiritually alert. And Paul gets specific about the types of sins that we are to address and the types of positive actions that we are to employ, starting in verse 12 of Romans 13. Again, he says, The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, so all the stuff we've been saying is leading up to this. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So for the rest of our time, I want us to consider what are the deeds of darkness and what is the armor of light. Starting with the deeds of darkness, look down at verse 14 with me. The last verse of the chapter. The last phrase of the chapter. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. So the deeds of darkness can also be classified as the lusts of the flesh. The lusts of the flesh, the deeds of darkness, we have the same idea going on here. This is evil behavior. It's sinful living. It's just generally speaking of sin, rebellion against God. Those are our existing sinful passions that we have. Do you you still have sinful passions, Christian? (laughs) There's this lingering flesh that's still in your life, and you're called to fight that. You're called to fight against the lingering sinful passion. And Paul gives some examples. Look down at verse 13. He says, Let us behave behave properly as in the day, not in carousing, drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, sensuality, strife, and jealousy. Those are the the sins, the deeds of darkness, the lust of the flesh that he gives us. Carousing. What do we got for carousing? Let's see where your where your knowledge is on carousing. What, what do you, how do you define that? Party. Party? Yep. Like a birthday party? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, some
3: birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Yes. Um, yeah, carousing is uh, going out clubbing and uh, hanging with the fellas, chasing girls. That's
0: carousing.
1: What verse is okay. that? that is
0: in uh, verse 13. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing. That's the first one, first sin listed there, in verse 13. Yeah, there's a... Uh, what time is it? It's 10. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing the time. He's just staying awake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, a definition for, a, a very basic definition is immoral merrymaking. Immoral merrymaking. <laughs> okay, there's nothing wrong with merrymaking. But there's something wrong with immoral merrymaking, right? Merrymaking. Merrymaking is like partying. It's like, it's out to. Merrymaking. Yeah, right. Yeah, celebrating. That's, yeah, celebrating. There's nothing wrong with that, but when you do it through immorality, there's something wrong with that. Well, how
1: do you party immorally? I don't know. Like
0: I don't know. Like okay. Answer. Let's answer a question. How do you party immorally? You Obviously, you don't know. <laughs> 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 the words underneath that describe it very well. Okay. So yeah. Dean, saying the rest of the list. Look at what Paul lists out and apply it back. Uh, so as you think about drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, sensuality, strife, jealousy, a lot of people party through those things, don't they? Mm-hmm. And he's saying, don't do that. And of course, there are a variety of other sins that we can apply and say, these sins make me happy when you do it in a group, and so let's all get together and immorally make merry. Mm-hmm. That's carousing. Mm-hmm. We are not Sorry, to... stranger. Go ahead.
1: All of those things are essentially... I mean, all you have to do is encapsulate a bar scene. You have all of them there. Now, what's very interesting
0: is that in the bar scene, it's a lot like a church in a lot of ways, isn't it? There's fellowship. There's sometimes singing. They're eating and drinking. Uh, And here's what's really sad. I was actually just reading this this week. What's really sad is sometimes you can find more acceptance in the tavern than you can in the church. Why do people end up in immoral merrymaking? Well, there's a lot of lot less judgment in the tavern or the bar. Definitely. Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay? Absolutely. Now, we never let go of truth. We should never be people who let go of truth. But we also need to be aware that sometimes churches can drive people away and drive them back to the tavern. Hmm. Because people are actually friendly there. All right, yeah. okay. Andy and then Lizzie. I think um, to this point... That
3: Rosaria Butterfield said it really well. She's like the um, the LGBTQ community. There's no judgment. These are people with whom you have a degree of fellowship and companionship yes. that aren't, you know, uh, making passing moral judgments on you. Yep. And that's that's why it's very. Insular, and you know, she talked about hospitality in that context, Mm -hmm. where they feel welcomed and affirmed in what they're doing. Yes, so that would be a moral marriage making. Yes,
0: and the, the difficulty is when people find their identity in their sin. When you inevitably, as a Christian, have to address the sin, you're attacking their identity, right? And that creates all sorts of conflict. But I mean, that's a hurdle we can't get around. That's just going to be there because we have to we have to hold on to the truth. But as Paul said earlier in this letter, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. So let's not add hurdles to the ones that are already there. Let's not cause people to stumble outside of what's already going to make them stumble. Okay, listen. Okay. All right. Second sin listed here is drunkenness. Drunkenness, indulging in a substance that diminishes self-control. So. You know, it doesn't say uh, anything about opioids or cocaine or whatever. It doesn't say anything about that here. But I think you understand that drunkenness includes all of that, doesn't it? Any type of substance that you turn over your control of yourself to a substance, that's a form of drunkenness. We are to avoid that. That's a deed of the flesh. That's a deed of darkness. And we are to walk in the light. Sexual promiscuity is listed. Now, what's actually uh, really interesting here is that the word means just the bed. That's what the word means. This word is used other times in the New Testament not in relation to sin. It just means the bed. So we have to use the context here to determine exactly what Paul means where he's listing off, again, this is verse uh, 13. Don't be out carousing in drunkenness, not in the bed. <laughs> I think you get the idea speaking of Fornication here, isn't it? That's why the translators of the New American Standard said sexual promiscuity. That's the idea. We are not to prioritize that in our flesh as what we're doing in life, are we? And there are all types of porneia. That's the Greek word that means sexual immorality or fornication. We are not to be guided by that sin. We're not to participate in that sin. The next word is sensuality. Now this is pretty interesting. Sensuality. This word just means like loose living or licentiousness. You've heard legalism. Someone, a legalist is someone who's really uptight about rules and you just got to act a certain way and be this uptight person about all these rules, usually made up rules. Right. Licentious is all the way over here. <coughs> Sensuality is all the way over here. <laughs> Sensuality is just, I'm a free spirit. I do what I want. It makes me feel good. You know, and you just do it. You just chase after whatever gives you that next little high. <clears throat> Christians aren't to be either one of those, right? right? We're not to make up rules and demand that people just be moral people with cold hearts. We're also not supposed to be away over there and saying, yeah, do whatever you want. God has given us revelation. God has given us instruction. God has given us insight into how we are to honor Him. And so sensuality is... Actually, a very broad and very dangerous sin. There are three verses I want us to see. Can I get three volunteers, one verse each? Galatians five nineteen, Lizzie. Galatians five nineteen. Ephesians four nineteen. Ephesians four nineteen. Joseph. One more. First Peter four three. First Peter four three. Minnie. So as you hear these, I want you to think about or listen for that word sensual. Okay. Listen to what Paul and Peter have to say elsewhere about sensuality. Go ahead, Lizzie. Galatians 5.19. Now, the works of the flesh are
1: evident. Sexual immorality,
0: impurity, sensuality. Okay, good. The works of the flesh are evident. Right there in the list, sensuality. Just being driven by your flesh. Okay, uh, Ephesians 4.19. Joseph. And they, having
3: become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality, to the practice of every kind of
0: impurity with greediness. Okay. Callous people give themselves over to living sensually, hmm. and it's just greedy. It, have you noticed that that's the nature of lust and greed and sensuality? Never enough. Yeah. You have this desire, this burning desire, you get a little more, you get a little more, you get a little more. Never enough. Road that never ends. It's the road that never ends. It's the treadmill. You never reach your destination. You just keep cranking up the speed. Go go go! And Eventually, you'll crash and burn. Right? <laughs> it's a pretty good illustration. Maybe First uh, Peter four three.
1: For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries.
0: Hey, Peter is saying these are the ways of non-believers. And the time that's already passed is sufficient for you to have done those things. Yeah. <laughs> but I was saved as a, as a child. Praise God. <laughs> that time from the womb to whenever you got saved, that was enough. <laughs> for you to indulge yourselves in any sin. And Peter here is saying that the, the mark of non-believers is that they go out and they just live sensually. They're driven by their flesh, whatever desires come up. They don't dismiss those thoughts, they entertain those thoughts. They don't dismiss those passions, they indulge in those passions. Not for the Christian. Christian fights against those things. It's an evidence, deed of the flesh. It's a sign of callousness. It's a godless desire. It's flesh-driven thinking. It's living without regard for God. We we're just talking about praying at all times that means living in regard to God in all things well this is the opposite of that sensual living is foolishness it's living without regard to God two more sins are listed in Romans 13 after we talk about these two I'll pause for thoughts and questions strife strife is the second to last one listed that's an ungodly fighting spirit it's a ungodly competitive spirit This, of course, comes from pride. You have to be on top. You have to win. You have to be noticed. You're battling with brothers and sisters in the church even to be noticed, to be elevated. Your whole life is built around becoming a big name for yourself. I, I really relate to this one. When I was younger, all I wanted to do was be famous. My whole life, growing up, I just wanted to be famous. And I had all kinds of different pathways that I wanted to go down to be famous. Well, what does that lead to? Strife. It's all about me. And everyone else then becomes just a block that's in the way. A, something to be dismissed or competed against. Fought. Defeated. Don't live out of strife. And then tied to that is jealousy. The last one, Paul, lists: jealousy. That's ungratefulness, you could say. It's discontentedness someone who's not content with what God has given. Jealousy is seeking the best for yourself above everything else. Looking out for number one, right? Jealousy. It's coveting. You shall not covet. You should not be jealous. Carousing, drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, sensuality, strife, jealousy. Interesting list of six particular sins. Thoughts on those? Uh, or questions?
1: What about all these things?
0: Oh, well, that's good to admit that. It's a good first step.
1: <laughs> the first step
0: in fixing a problem is admitting you have a problem, right? Good. And so you start addressing them. And we'll talk about that. That's the second that's the last part of the lesson. Because that's Paul doesn't leave us without instruction. He doesn't just say, hey, here are all these things. Stop it. That's what I do with my kids. <laughs> That's bad. Okay, You don't just say, hey, lying is bad. Stop it. But you you engage the mind. You need to engage your mind. And it's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Dean taught a great lesson on this a while back. You can just look across the page, maybe. Romans 12, 1 and 2. By the mercies of God, what are we doing? Presenting your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Acceptable to God. That is your spiritual service of worship. In verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. But, here's what we're doing in this life. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. Engage your mind. Ask God to engage your mind. Ask the Spirit to transform your mind. Learn from God and live for God.
3: So, um, I've heard people in person and on videos saying, "Well, if you, if grace is free, then that's just a license to sin." To which my reply is, "We sin without license anyway." Yeah. I mean, it's it. That argument is is uh, fleshly yes. and.
0: Yeah, you know what's amazing? What's there's a book, What's So Amazing About Grace? Isn't that an interesting title? You know what's amazing about grace? It's power. Grace transforms us. Grace is what's unique to biblical Christianity compared to all religions in the world. Give me any religion out there and put it against biblical Christianity. That religion doesn't have grace. But biblical Christianity does. That's a big deal. And I, you know, I've been doing uh, these videos... Uh, each week, going through the Old Testament, following the "Come Follow Me" curriculum. I don't know if you guys have seen those on Facebook and YouTube and stuff on our podcast. But I just recorded one this week on First Samuel one and two. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, she prayed to God for a child. She was barren. So number one, she's acknowledging that God is sovereign, right? He opens the womb. He's in control of if people get pregnant or not. That's pretty amazing. And then he opens a womb. Did he have to do that? No. Every child is a gift, a gift of God's grace. Every single child is a gift. And so then Hannah said, Thanks, I'm out of here, God. I got my baby. I'm gone. No, she didn't. what she do? Someone tell me. what did Hannah do? To she her to she hand hand to gave him back to the Lord. And do you remember her song in chapter 2, Hannah's song? She's praising God for His might, His sovereignty, His goodness, His kindness. That's what grace does. Grace transforms a heart and causes a person to live to God. People who don't know grace say, grace could never do that. You don't know grace, my friend. When you come to know grace, you're changed. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Alright, we have 15 minutes left. This is the important stuff, okay? We're responsible to identify, to fight, to kill these behaviors that Paul just listed. But we're also responsible to put on the armor of life. And that's actually how we fight against sin, is by putting on the armor of life. Okay? So let's read the passage again now. Instead of looking at the passage from the angle of don't do these things, which is fine, switch your angle and say, what are we to do? Alright? Verse 11. Do this. Submit to government. Love your neighbor. Knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness, and put on the armor of light. So if you're looking for something to grab onto, the last part of verse 12, we are to put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, there's another one, and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. The armor of light, that's the lifestyle that we are to put on as members of God's household, a way of living that we are to pursue, to seek after, to embrace, as members of God's family. That's what the armor of life is. And if you look at the beginning of verse 13, he says, let us behave properly. The armor of life includes proper behavior. We just talked about the behaviors that are improper for Christians, improper for God's children. You are to seek that which is proper. That means you're seeking to walk in a way Live for God in a way that fits your confession of faith. Your confession of faith drives your living. And this starts with who God is. We start with who is God. If we were to list some of God's communicable attributes, don't get lost on a multi-syllable word like that. Communicable attributes, these are attributes of God's character that we are able to share in, that we are able to imitate. What are some of God's attributes that you could list off? So obviously this doesn't include omniscience. You're you're never going to be able to know all that. It doesn't include omnipotence. You're never going to be all-powerful. But what other attributes can you imitate? Let's listen. Grace. Graciousness. Graciousness. Grace, good. Patience. Patience, good. Loving. To be loving. Joe, did you say something? Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I thought you said something. Good. What else? What else?
2: Compassion. Long-suffering.
0: Compassion, long-suffering. I love long-suffering better than patience. I, both words are, are great, you know. Yeah. Long-suffering. Just the word itself gives you a whole bunch of paragraphs and paragraphs of thought. God Mercy. is long-suffering. Mercy. God is merciful. Joy. Good. Joy. Joy. Yes, good. Holy Okay. Now Andy touched on yeah, like a hard one. <laughs> yeah. He said holy. God says be holy, for I am holy. First 1 Peter 1.16 Therefore, be holy as I am holy. Our confession is that God is just, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, kind, joyful, yes, all those things. But you add all that up and multiply it times infinity, God is holy. Right? God is absolutely holy. And if that is our confession, we serve a holy God. That confession then should drive the way we live. Not to obtain perfection. You can't do it. Not to satisfy any of his demands. You can't do that either. But to reflect this God that you confess. You want Him to be seen through you, don't you? You want His love to touch people through you. You want to honor Him as He is to be honored and served. Holy. He's holy. Our desire is to be for this holy God. We are to have a passion for godliness. A passion for holiness. A passion for God. And notice that Paul includes himself in the instruction. Verse 13, let us behave properly. This is an apostle. (gasps) Apostles aren't perfect? (laughs) Paul says, let us behave properly. This is truly an instruction for all of us, isn't it? So we are to put on proper behavior. And then also, verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what is this? This is a daily commitment, or hourly, or minutely. Can we say minutely? Mm-hmm. Se- secondly, commitment to Christlikeness. You remember the uh, the wristbands? What would Jesus do? WWJD? Good or bad?
2: Good.
0: Got to vote for good. <laughs> Andy tries to vote in the middle.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah. All right.
0: Well, Andy? Why? Why do you? Why are you not sure?
2: <laughs>
3: because in one respect, Jesus is absolutely unique, and he did things and said things and was was something that we are not
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, you know we're not you know Jesus turned water into wine well dude I ain't turning water into wine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also good in that um, yeah. you know we should be living in the light of who Jesus is what he is and when he's returning it's it's a it, in that respect calling to mind that we are living uh on borrowed time so to speak when the father is going to send the son back we need to be cognizant and not asleep and it, that that in that respect it's good
0: it's like a little alarm clock. When you see it, it wakes you up a little bit. <laughs> okay, a reminder. Yeah, constantly. Yeah, it can also be bad if we're telling that to unbelievers, right? Telling non-believers, well, "Oh, Jesus, do well, They don't know, they don't care. Uh, and that's not our message of salvation. Do what Jesus would do. That's not our message of salvation. But for the believer, there is a good reminder there, isn't there? Commitment to put on the Lord Jesus Christ on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean other than to have this mind of yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus? That's Philippians 2. We are to have the mind of Christ. And we are to apply this outlook to all of life. To remember the Gospel and to apply the Gospel to all of life that Gospel outlook. Aiming to follow Christ's example. And to fight the lust of the flesh. That's the last part of verse 14 put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Now this is pretty strong language when Paul says make no provision. That's pretty strong. What he's saying is uh, don't plan your sin. Don't feed your sin. Don't give opportunity for your flesh. And we do this subtly. We, we leave the door open. We make opportunity, even though we know we're weak in certain areas. Paul says, don't do that. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Mr. Bowman. Well, this is a good question that we don't have
2: to away The word flesh can be translated desires. Yes. Food and hunger and thirst yes. and sleep and all of that, then we need to be managing that and those things well also, those can also become more than Jesus.
0: Yes. Yeah, so the flesh as Paul speaks of it here, it certainly has sin in view, the deeds of the flesh. It's the human propensity, the human weakness. To desire that which we shouldn't desire or to exalt certain things that shouldn't be exalted, right? Well, I want to give you four things that this means. I I don't like to use the word things, but I couldn't find a better one in my head. Uh, What what does it mean to make no provision for the flesh? Number one, you have to be aware of your temptations. That's first of all. You have to be aware of your own weaknesses where you're most likely to be tempted. If you're not aware of your own personal weaknesses, that's not good. That's part of waking up. Have an open eyes and understanding what's going on even in your own hearts. We all have general weakness, but then we all have specific weaknesses, don't we? The second item is don't entertain or feed the ungodly thoughts. Now, you're never going to do this perfectly, But you can certainly do this better, right? (laughs) You're never going to do this perfectly, but you can always become more aware of your own thought life. I want to read to you Galatians 5.24. Paul says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So in our minds, we're seeking to kill the passions of the flesh. We're seeking to kill sin in the thought life. Because that's where everything starts. When does a horse thief become a horse thief? When he covets. Right? That's where it starts. And so you address the mind. You're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means don't entertain or feed the ungodly thoughts. The thoughts that dishonor God. Number three. Set up godly safeguards in your life. Set up godly safeguards. Here's number one within that. Be involved in a community of believers who share the same goals and values and purposes as you. It's not a safeguard to go join the people that you used to engage in immoral merrymaking with and say, oh, I'm going to be safe in my company of immoral merrymakers. (laughs) There's no safety in that. But there are safeguards in the community of God's people, the household of God. As we come together and we share the same beliefs and the same desires, we can provide accountability and set up safeguards. Everything else is just details. And then the fourth thing, about making no provision. Fourth. Rest, but don't fall asleep. This is really difficult. Rest, but don't fall asleep. This is attention. Because on the one hand, God's got you. Does that encourage you? I hope it encourages you. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Ha! Ah, God's got me, right? Or this is from uh, Matthew 6. I'll just read you a couple verses. Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. Matthew 6, 8, it says... Uh, your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Awesome. And then pray without cease.
1: <laughs> rest,
0: but don't fall asleep. See what I mean? God knows even before you ask. So you can rest, but don't fall asleep. It's like, maybe some of you are like this. When Melissa is falling asleep early, she's really tired at night. I'm like, Don't fall asleep yet. I'm just resting my eyes. <laughs> you're falling asleep
1: <laughs> you're
0: not just resting your eyes you're falling asleep we are to rest but don't fall asleep ok it's difficult it's very difficult here's, here's a, a warning from 1st Timothy this is 1st Timothy 6-9 talking about greed 1st Timothy chapter 6 verse 9 this is what happens when you fall asleep those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. You could switch out greediness with other sins. When you fall asleep and you fall into temptation and a snare, what's going to happen? The end of this verse is you are plunged into ruin and destruction. 1 Timothy 6 9. So rest, but don't fall asleep. That is the tension. And again, this commission is most successfully fought in a community of believers who share the same beliefs and goals as you. And next week, we're going to get into a chapter of how we live in this community together. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible It's one of the biblical teachings that I am most passionate about. I love Romans 14. And we're going to talk more about how we do this together as we all have our different proclivities and preferences. Okay? Final thoughts or questions? Good. I don't need to share. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. So, like, one of the things in the list
3: was jealousy. Um, and it seems like there could be controversial on that. So, like,
0: is there instances where jealousy can be a normal thing, an okay thing? Yeah. In a relationship? There is good jealousy because God is jealous. That's one of his communicable attributes, right? God is jealous for his people. God is jealous for worship. Now we can never be jealous for a group of people as though we own them like God does. We can never be jealous for worship because we're not God. Okay, so those things are clear. But there is a godly jealousy for uh, you know you'll be married soon. To have a godly jealousy for your wife, that's good. That is good. Um, to have a godly jealousy for your children, okay, in the right terms. Now there are places where that can go off, but in the right terms, that is right. And so yes, that's that's a good clarification, Lizzie.
1: Um. To of what Joseph said, with jealousy you put ungratefulness and content. Uh, I didn't realize that, I didn't know that that was jealousy. Bec- like, I struggle with depression and so I, I can become ungrateful and content a lot. So, how does that, how does that, who am I jealous? Like, how am I jealous?
0: Yeah, so um, to answer that in negative one minute is difficult, but. Um, a gen- general idea. Our sins come from within. We don't look outside of us and blame someone else for our sin. Right. So if we are discontent, there's a problem within. And we need to examine and address what's going on in our hearts. Um, emotional struggles that stem from perhaps chemical things or whatever, those, are, those become very difficult. They become difficult. But your call as a Christian is still to address what's within, okay? And as you do that, what you find is my discontentedness is coming from a desire for me to have more than what God has given me. Uh And you address that sin. You don't say something outside of me or something outside of my control is making me that way. That's not the case. Uh So you address that thought. And even in a depressed state, even in a bipolar state or or whatever it might be, you can still address and fight those things. Okay. Now, it can be more and more difficult, but the, the commission is the same for the Christian. It's to mortify the flesh, to kill the flesh with its desires. Jerry?
2: My little phrase for depression, which, and discontentedness is we forget our position and our power, our, our promises of God. We position and the promises. of God. Mm.
0: Yes. Yeah. All dysfunction stems from lies. Yes, exactly. Yes.
3: I Real know. quick. Yeah. Ultimately, because I've struggled a lot with depression, ultimately our strength comes
0: from outside ourselves. Yes. Our problems don't let our strength does. Our very strength good. Yes. yes. Good. He supplies our every need, doesn't He? That's good. Okay, let's pray. Father, again, we thank You for this day and for who You are and what You're doing in us and around us. We want to bring You glory. We want to honor You rightly. Help us this morning as we sing praises to You, as You work through Your Word to sharpen our minds and to nourish our spirits, to comfort our hearts. Help us to apply what we're discussing today to our lives for Your glory, for Your praise. And it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.